You've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. I just wonder when will I stop being asked all these questions, you know? It has been 18 years since September 11, 2001. 18 years since American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. 18 years since United Airlines Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower. 18 years since American Airlines Flight 77 flew into the Pentagon and Flight 93 crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. I remember where I was when I first heard the news about the planes. I remember thinking about my family in New Jersey, just outside of Manhattan, and worrying about whether my dad was alive. It took hours before I could get him on the phone. I bet most of you remember what you felt when you heard the news or saw the pictures. Maybe at first you thought it was an action movie, not even real. Maybe you dropped your knees to pray. Whatever you did, if you were American and you were alive and not a little kid on September 11th, you remember where you were. On the morning of Tuesday, September 11th, Father Kevin Madigan had morning mass at St. Peter's Catholic Church in New York City. I was the pastor of St. Peter's at that time, and the Mass was, uh, I guess it was probably 7.30. St. Peter's is about a block from the World Trade Center. Father Madigan said employees at the World Trade Center would often come to St. Peter's for Mass over their lunch break. After he said Mass that morning, Father Madigan went outside to walk over to his rectory. He stopped in his tracks. The World Trade Center was burning. He first thought that it must have been an accident, some inexperienced pilot accidentally running his small plane into the North Tower. But the damage was too much for that. The fire was too big. He moved into the street to get a closer look. The street was crowded with people standing and staring at the smoking tower. People were just sort of awestruck in that. They were um, looking at the building burning, not knowing what to do. It was just... just, uh, uh, like a train wreck. When people see a car crash or a train wreck, they just are, their attention is fixated on it. And sadly, too, some of the people in the street were watching people who were trapped in the upper floors hurl themselves from the building. Father Madigan eventually turned away. He said he didn't want to watch people jump. He was only about one city block away from the World Trade Center. But he remembers that at first he felt safe until a burst of flame on the second tower. Debris was flying in every direction. Father Madigan remembers the wheel of an airplane flying over his head, a bottle of water slamming against a wall near him. And then he says, it was like everyone woke up from a dream at the same time and they started running. At that point, they all just started running. You know, there was projectiles flying over our heads and things like that. So they were just scared, you know. While the crowds ran away from the World Trade Center, Father Madigan stayed near his parish. He wanted to warn parish employees, and he wanted to start ministering to people on the streets. There really wasn't much to do except to try and uh, give some measure of consolation to certain people. One man stands out in Father Madigan's mind. He was weeping on the steps of St. Peter's. His brother worked in the first tower. His office was on the 78th floor, 15 floors below the plane's destruction. Yeah, I was trying to console them, you know, that there was always hope. In fact, I think the man brother probably did escape. And then it was just a matter of what a priest would do in any circumstance of uh, attend to the sick and to the dying. 
So you just sort of go into automatic pilot or just put one foot in front of the other and go into work. Father Madigan joined another priest and some police officers to walk to the periphery of the World Trade Center. They searched for people who were wounded or dying. He heard what he describes now as a dull rumble before he realized that the towers above him were collapsing. He and a whole bunch of other people ran down into a nearby subway station. They huddled together and they waited for the dust to settle. Father Madigan said, surprisingly, he didn't administer any last rites that day. People either died in the, in, in the fire and in, in, in the actual collapse of the building or they walked away. But there were, I, I didn't administer any sack from the sick or last rites at all, no. That's where I was headed when all of a sudden we saw the uh, tower falling and we ran down to the subway platform. One of Father Madigan's parishioners died. The funeral was held at St. Patrick's Cathedral because St. Peter's Church was in the red zone. It was blocked off for weeks. Father Madigan said it was the beginning of November or maybe the end of October when the barricades were removed and people could attend Mass at St. Peter's again. Then it was like business as, as usual at that point on, although the attendance was markedly down. It's like losing like you know, 40,000 people who used to come to work, who used to work there and now no longer work there. So large numbers of them who had come to Delhi Mass were now all of a sudden not coming. Father Madigan said it took several years for St. Peter's to have the attendance it had before September 11th. And now, interestingly, that whole neighborhood is booming, and um, the parish is thriving, has one of the largest religious education programs in Manhattan, and because a lot of families have moved into that area uh, since then. He was pastor of St. Peter's until 2012. Today, he's pastor of a merged parish on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. We asked Father Madigan if he commemorates September 11th in any special way. When I was down in St. Peter's every year, we would have a mass that those would perish that day, but I don't go back for that anymore. But he said he still gets questions each year about his experience. I just wonder if when will I stop being asked all these questions, you know? We'll be right back. Hello, this is Kevin Jones. I'm a longtime journalist with Catholic News Agency. I want to thank you for listening to CNA Newsroom. We bring you the voices behind the headlines. We explore our world together with an eye towards our faith. If you enjoy CNA Newsroom as much as I do, be sure and subscribe to the show. You'll never miss an episode. Subscribing is easy and free on any podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Just open your phone's podcast app, then search for CNA Newsroom. Click the subscribe button. That way, you'll get our episodes as soon as we post them. Happy listening, and make sure you check out episode 22, featuring yours truly, Kevin Jones. Now, back to the show. The next story we have for you is a powerful one. I first heard it six months ago, and I was just bowled over. The story belongs to my friend, Anita Raines. Anita is the chair of the National Advisory Council of the U.S. Bishops' Conference. She's also a retired colonel in the United States Army, and she was in the Pentagon on September 11, 2001. 
Anita doesn't share her story that often. She says she worries about overstating her role. In fact, after we interviewed her, Anita texted us a few times to say that she didn't want it to seem like she was doing anything more than her duty. Her sense of duty is a big part of who Anita is. No matter what any of us have endured on that day or in the years that followed and all that's been asked of our Army and the other sister services, nothing compares, of course, to the loss of those 184 souls and all that their families are enduring and continue to endure to this day. When Anita did tell us her story, she talked to us over the phone from outside the Pentagon, where she still works today. Of the helicopter, I apologize. <laughs> That's our mighty Coast Guard. I was a major at the time. Our office, ironically, had just moved on August 11th from the left side of the point of impact to the right side of the point of impact, um, and we were on the third floor. My desk was there at the, at the window of the third floor on the face of the Pentagon that, uh, in which the, the plane impacted. Anita remembers that at her desk, she got an initial report on the morning of September 11th about a plane hitting one of the towers of the World Trade Center. And then, half an hour later, another report, another plane. You know, at that point, people were certainly aware that this was unusual, but we did not have awareness that there were other planes still in, in the air you know, that could pose a threat. I would say the indiv individual worker wouldn't have known that at that point. There were, of course, a few televisions around. We don't have them as a raid as we do now. Um, and several of my coworkers had asked, can we see, you know, can we watch the television? I said, sure, you know, just keep it down. The directors are still in their meeting. And then... One officer actually said, forgive me, oh my God, a plane. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. We're looking at a uh, live picture from Washington and there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. Uh, when you exited our door, it was to the left, there was the, the darkness of the, of the impact area. Of course, there was a little bit of uh, confusion, as you would imagine, of workers, uh, employees of the Department of Defense who were on the first and second floors and actually coming up to the third floor in an attempt, because as you can imagine, there was, um, there was a variety of reasons why you would lose your orientation near the point of impact. And so uh, it was quite a flood of employees when we pushed open the inward stairwells to, to let them in onto the ring, and then everyone was just uh, making their way uh, to, to the nearest exit. Anita and her team gathered at their rally point to take what she called agency accountability. Whether you're in the field or in a tactical deployment or, or here in Washington, you it's instinct, right, to get accountability. And so um, our effort at that point was to ensure that we had accountability of all from our office, you know, we call it our agency, um, because there are several agencies in the Department of Defense, and then relaying information into the operations center to give reports of, of who we had positively confirmed or accounted for. They knew another plane was inbound, and so we kept moving into the nearby um, office area, which is called Pentagon City, and we continued to take accountability. I would say we stayed there till three in the afternoon, actually. We stayed a very long time. 
part of what was striking from that morning certainly was the quiet after the impact. All air traffic and all vehicle traffic was ceased on all of the major highways that go by. Anita and some others had office cell phones, but the cell towers were out and it was practically impossible to get through. They sent runners to report accountability to the operations center, which was in a safe part of the Pentagon complex. Eventually, people began making their way to the metro station in Pentagon City. They heard the trains were running again, outbound from the station. Anita's husband and their two children picked her up from the southernmost point on the blue line of the metro. And then at that point, because everyone was just getting on trains and heading out, any stranger who needed a ride, people were pulling them into their cars to then bring them home. The rehabilitation and rebuilding efforts began almost immediately. Yeah, I'm very proud to say that the Army uh, and our sister services did not miss a beat. The leaders just brought everyone in right away into an auditorium off-site because first and foremost, they cared about the well-being of, of how everyone was handling things. Anita said military chaplains helped. The comfort that our chaplains brought to both the recovery operations, right, of our deceased brothers and sisters, particularly for the soldiers of the 3rd Infantry Regiment who were brought over from Fort Myer to assist in that. The chaplains brought great comfort to everyone and so grateful um, for their presence during that entire window of time of the, uh, of the recovery. Teams, including Anita's, were temporarily relocated to other Department of Defense offices throughout the region. The team leading a renovation of the Pentagon began to rebuild the section that had been destroyed. Anita and a colleague took charge of setting up a new office. Two weeks before the first anniversary, our agency fully occupied, again, our spaces in the Pentagon. You can look back and say, was I confident because of the the youth and brashness where you feel like you're invincible anyway, right? I mean, that's how you're trained. But I can confidently say, looking back, that my confidence was certainly attributable to my Catholic faith and my family's uh, faith. So that was a Tuesday morning, and my boss knew how important my Catholic faith is to me and was to me at that time. And when we were there on Saturday, I said, hey, boss, what do you, you know, what's the plan for tomorrow? And he turned to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll forever be grateful. He said, Reigns, I want you to go to Mass. I know how important that is to you. I want you to go to Mass with your family. And it was probably the first time I teared up, right, that week. And I, uh, and I thanked him for that. And then of course, I reported in immediately after, but I, I will forever be grateful to be in the pews with my family and grateful that I was able to, not just because of his generosity, but the Lord's generosity. I don't take any of this for granted. And every time I, and I'm standing here looking at the side of the Pentagon now, the impact area, um, you know, back then you shrug your shoulders and you say, well, of course I made it out. And now you look and you realize how close that was. And, uh, and I'm certainly grateful. I cannot begin this audience without expressing my profound sorrow 
at the terrorist attacks which yesterday brought death and destruction to America, causing thousands of victims and injuring countless people. To the President of the United States and to all American citizens, I express my heartfelt sorrow. In the face of such unspeakable horror, we cannot but be deeply disturbed. I add my voice to all the voices raised in these hours to express indignant condemnation, and I strongly reiterate that the ways of violence will never lead to genuine solutions to humanity's problems. Yesterday was a dark day in the history of humanity, a terrible affront to human dignity. After receiving the news, I followed with intense concern the developing situation with heartfelt prayers to the Lord. How is it possible to commit acts of such savage cruelty? The human heart has depths from which schemes of unheard of ferocity sometimes emerge, capable of destroying in a moment the normal daily life of a people. But faith comes to our aid at these times when words seem to fail. Christ's word is the only one that can give a response to the questions which trouble our spirit. Even if the forces of darkness appear to prevail, those who believe in God know that evil and death do not have the final say. Christian hope is based on this truth. At this time, our prayerful trust draws strength from it. With deeply felt sympathy, I address myself to the beloved people of the United States in this moment of distress and consternation when the courage of so many men and women of goodwill is being sorely tested. In a special way, I reach out to the families of the dead and the injured and assure them of my spiritual closeness. I entrust to the mercy of the Most High the helpless victims of this tragedy, for whom I offered Mass this morning, evoking upon them eternal rest. May God give courage to the survivors. May he sustain the rescue workers and the many volunteers who are presently making an enormous effort to cope with such an immense emergency. I ask you, dear brothers and sisters, to join me in prayer for them. Let us beg the Lord that the spiral of hatred and violence will not prevail. May the Blessed Virgin, Mother of Mercy, fill the hearts of all with wise thoughts and peaceful intentions. Today, my heartfelt sympathy is with the American people, subjected yesterday to inhuman terrorist attacks, which have taken the lives of thousands of innocent human beings and caused unspeakable sorrow in the hearts of all men and women of goodwill. Yesterday was indeed a dark day in our history, an appalling offense against peace, a terrible assault against human dignity. I invite you all to join me in commending the victims of this shocking tragedy to Almighty God's eternal love. Let us implore his comfort upon the injured, the families involved, all who are doing their utmost to rescue survivors and help those affected. I ask God to grant the American people the strength and courage they need at this time of sorrow and trial. Pope St. John Paul II, September 12, 2001. I was in college on September 11th. It was the beginning of my sophomore year at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. And what I remember is that after we saw on TV the planes, students just started making their way to the port, the Port Yankula, the little Adoration Chapel on campus. And it probably only holds maybe 20 students at most, but 
hundreds of students started making their way there and then thousands of people started making their way there. And soon everyone was praying outside the port on their knees or making their way to the chapel to pray. Just thousands of people together praying for our nation, praying for families we didn't know, praying in hope for God's mercy. So much has changed in our country since September 11th. It was the turning point for a generation and in many ways a major turning point in American history. But if there's one thing I hope we remember, it was that experience of turning to God together on our knees, praying for people we knew and didn't know, entrusting all of them to the mercy and love of God. You've been listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I've been your host, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Vike and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Vike. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. Special thanks this week to Anita Raines and Father Kevin Madigan for sharing their stories with us. Next week, Loneliness Part 2. See you then.